Hey guys, and welcome to Fika with Rice, a podcast about life hacks, inspirational life stories, routines, and keys to success. I'm your host, Frederick Van Hoon, and each week I meet some of the most incredible people in the world from self-made millionaires, best-selling authors, experts, and world-class athletes. My goal is to extract their wisdom, mindset, tools, so you can use them in your daily life, but above all, to inspire you. Let's get this Fika started. Welcome to episode 7 by Fika with Rise. In this episode, we meet Lauren Berger, the CEO and founder of both CareerQueen.com and InternQueen.com. She has completed 15 internships during her undergraduate degree and knows the ins and outs of how to successfully land your first job. She is also the author of Welcome to the Real World, All Work No Pay, and most recently, Get It Together. An episode filled with great, great actionable tips for anyone looking to start or wanting to start a new job and other concrete advices on how to effectively navigate your career as a young professional. This is Lauren's story. Let's go. Hello, Lauren. For those that don't know, Lauren is the CEO and founder of both Dent and Queen, Career Queen, as well as author of three books and have done 15 internships. Welcome, welcome to Fika with Rise, Lauren. Thanks for having me. That's great. So we met in person a few years ago in Florida. Um, it was really cool to meet you in person because uh, I've only like seen you on Twitter and on YouTube at that <laughs> time. So it was really cool. Um, yeah. But anyway, I thought to, to start by asking you, why did you want to become an entrepreneur? You know, I don't think that I knew I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I I um, don't feel, I don't think I well, can't talk today. I don't think anyone ever told me when I was in college that it was possible to be an entrepreneur. And I wish, I wish someone did um, because I think I left college thinking that you had to graduate and go work for another company. And I was really confused because I had all of these dreams and ideas and I didn't really have the toolkit on how to put those things together and, and be an entrepreneur. So I graduated college. I, I moved across the country from Florida to California. I got my first job and it was really being unhappy at my first job that I think really pushed me to be an entrepreneur. I looked at all of the people around me who were really good at what they were doing. And I thought, man, I want to be that passionate. I want to be that good at what I'm doing. And the only thing that I could think of that I'd be passionate about was this idea that I had, which was to start a business called Intern Queen and help college students connect with their dream careers. So I didn't know I wanted to be an entrepreneur, um, but I sort of couldn't escape. I couldn't escape it. What, so you, you said, you mentioned that you were lacking passion in your first job. What did your first job teach you? I think my first job taught me that what works for everybody doesn't necessarily work for you. My first job was at a really cool uh, talent agency in Hollywood. And when you work at a place like that, it's a little bit confusing because it is so cool and it is so glamorous and you're getting to meet so many interesting people and some celebrities. And so it can be really hard to separate what's cool versus what are you actually passionate about. And I can look back at that first job and say, wow, that was really cool. But at this point, I'm really confident that the cool job wasn't for me. Um, okay, that's interesting. I think, I mean, it might be different. You know, I grew up in Sweden, uh, mm -hmm. I think in a small town, you know, but I think if, yeah, of course, if you're growing up in a big city or you're moving to a big city like LA, 
Stockholm or, or London and you get that big, that big job in a, in a talent agency, of course, um, mm-hmm. I think you can get drawn very quickly to that, the coolness, the, yeah, to the cool factor. You're drinking, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But okay. But okay. Let's talk a little bit about your family. What does your mom meant to you in your life? Um, my what mom, did she teach you? Yeah. I mean, my mom's the reason why I started intern queen. Essentially when I was in college, she would call me and tell me to do these internships, which I wasn't familiar with. I didn't have any teachers, professors, nobody, nobody was telling me to do internships. And it was really my mom that called me and said, you know, you need to check into these opportunities. And if you don't, I'm going to keep calling you and keep calling you until you do. That's sort of her style is the repeat method, (laughs) which, which I'm sure I've, my husband would probably say I'm now a repeater as well. (laughs) But, um, you know, my mom is great. And my mom definitely has this, um, outlook and mindset that I guess that there's no obstacles, right? Meaning that if I hit a snag and I'm complaining to her that I've had a bad day because this happened or this person doesn't want to work with me or whatever it might be, she doesn't feed into it. She's not the mom that's going to say, oh, tell me more about your pain and struggles, right? She's like, next, next. Like, she's just like, okay, keep going. Like, that's fine. Not a big deal. Keep it moving. So um, I think that mindset has been really helpful, especially as an entrepreneur, because as entrepreneurs, we're constantly putting ourselves out there. We're constantly getting rejected and we're constantly having to dig deep within and grab that motivation to wake up and do it again the next day. Yeah. Rejection. Um, I think I've been rejected so many times. Um, yeah. You know what? Uh, you, re- you wrote something interesting about that in your book. I wanted to tell a story. So when I went to university college in the U.S., I read this book called The Game by Neil Strauss. I'm sure you heard about it. But mm-hmm. when it came out, this one was the big deal. And I didn't think so much about the dating, but I thought a lot about the rejection. So I was like, okay. And I was thinking like, <laughs> this might be like a sick thought, but I was like, you know what? If I can like ask girl's phone number and get as many no's as possible, I'm going to get comfortable with no's. And it's going to yeah. make me like <laughs> a funny, stronger yeah. business person in the future. So, well, I, that, know, I like, mean, yeah, I it, it really is true that I, I do think that rejection is a good lesson and it does help you develop a thicker skin. But even you know, I'm almost 13 years into running Intern Queen now and some rejections, they just get you, you know, some hurt a little bit and you really try. I think no matter how thick your skin is, like sometimes there's opportunities that you really want and it's really a bummer when, when they don't work out. But if you have enough experience with rejection, typically you can see the bigger picture that this probably isn't the right opportunity and you're confident that something else will come along. So for those that are listening, Lauren, I'm sure a lot of people are young out there, you know, what would you tell them? Like, what's a good way? What are, what's one or two like secrets of Lauren to, to handle rejection? Two secrets of Lauren to handle rejection. I think something, whenever I'm feeling just down in general, um, whether that's because of rejection or something else, something that makes me feel better. And it's, hard for me to remember it at the time, because when we're all caught up in our feelings, it's hard to do. It's hard to think practically about anything, but just doing something proactive and crossing something off my to-do list, even if it's small, when I don't feel good about something doing that, and it's just the act of moving forward on something else and 
taking control of just, you know, that little cross mark that you can make on your to-do list. That's something that really makes me feel better. Um, And then I think uh, just something else is that you don't need to respond to rejection right away. Um, In my last book, And Get It Together, I tell this story. um, And I wrote that book years ago, so I don't even remember what I wrote. So I'm paraphrasing, (laughs) but... um, Okay. I, I had it, a from your memory. Yeah, I had a big um I had a big spa, so we do a big event called the Intern Queen Party every year. It'll be this summer, July 20th. Um it'll be virtual this year. It was virtual last year as well, but it used to be in person and every year it was always a big um hustle to get a sponsor for that party. And we had a big retail sponsor involved for 3 years. And it's tricky with sponsors because you or any um, partners, because you get these people to say yes. And then you forget that, like, just because someone says yes to you once doesn't mean they're going to say yes to you every single year. So I had this great partner. They said yes to me once I got the deal. Then the second year they said yes again. Then the third year they said yes again. So the fourth year when I assumed they were going to say yes, because we killed it and we performed so well, beat all of our metrics, you know, did all the things they said, no. And that was a really hard pill to swallow. And it's something that you do have to remember is that the people that are saying yes now aren't necessarily going to say yes forever, right? Like eventually that, yeah, it's, it's all very cyclical, right? Eventually the yes is going to go back to a no, most likely. So you have to be ready to deal with that. Um, but I got this email and man, it stung, right? And when it's personal, ooh, or it feel, it, it, it probably wasn't personal, but it feels personal. Ooh, it stings even more. So, um, what I did when I got that email and I talked about this and get it together is I just left it. I didn't respond for, I think like two or three days and you know what? That's okay. Right. I think in, um, 2021, we feel like communication is so fast. It's so instantaneous. We feel like if we don't respond right away, we're doing something wrong. And I think we all need to try to change the stigma there and take a deep breath and you can respond to things when you're ready to respond to things. So if you need to take two to three business days to respond to something, think even a week, that is more than appropriate. And so I just needed to take some time to give the email and myself space, right? So that I could think about the situation a little bit more practically, take the personal piece out of it because it wasn't personal, but things feel personal sometimes when when we're personally involved, right? We've met the people. Um, So I guess just... My my advice is that you don't need to have a trigger finger response. So when you get rejected from a job, a business relationship, a, a girl, a guy, whatever it might be, just take a beat. Like it's okay to stop, to process, to think, and to come at it a couple of days later when you have a fresh perspective. That's some really great tips. I love those tips, Laura. So uh, you you meant you talked you mentioned your book, get it together. Uh, let's speak a little bit about that because in your book, you speak about a very cool method called method over mood. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And what does that mean? Yeah, it basically means like, (laughs) do what you say you're going to do regardless of how you feel in the moment. So, I mean, the best example is probably with exercise. I think we all, or a lot of us have exercise goals for ourselves, but then you get caught up in the day, the day gets the best of you. And by the time it's for me, like right around 5.30 PM, um, when my child is napping is when, um, and my child is on a bizarre schedule. So for all you parents listening, don't think too hard about that schedule. Um, but when she's napping, that's second nap of the day, like that's workout time. 
And so by 5.30, I have a list of 37 reasons why I should not go work out. I have to work. I'm feeling tired. I want to watch the Kardashians from the other night, whatever the reason is, right? I could make up so many reasons. But if I, if I went by my mood, I wouldn't go accomplish my goal, which was to work out. So it's almost like putting your mood to the side and really focusing on what, what was the method? Like, what was your plan? And really sticking to that. And it's hard. It's hard to put your personal feelings or your mood of the moment aside and like make yourself think of the bigger picture and the bigger reason, you know, why am I doing this? Oh yeah, because I'm trying to work out for 40 minutes a day for the next three months or whatever it is. So um, that's what I mean by method over mood. It's mood. It's just reminding yourself, like, what is the bigger picture here and trying to see past your own feelings so you don't get in your own way. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I don't have children yet, but I can imagine it must be really tough because you have a lot of team members, employees, a lot of customers you have to attend. And I mean, you have a husband as well. And and yeah, you're uh, yeah. Yeah. Juggling a lot of things. The big, yeah, the biggest change with, um, the baby has just been that, um, all of a sudden there's this other person who you want to prioritize over everything. And it's so hard, especially I think being someone like me, who's prioritized work, not necessarily, not that that was the right thing to do, but I have prioritized work for 13 years. And so to have something else where you're like, Oh no work, you're going to take a backseat to this person. It's just, you know, it's different. It's even different for my team, right? Like for me to put blocks in my calendar, they're like, she's always here. Like, where is she? So, uh, you know, it's something that I work at um, every day for sure. But I think I'm, you know, knock on wood, doing a pretty good job at the moment. So I'm sure that'll change. You know, there's bad days and there's good days. (laughs) What, uh, how do you stay, how do you stay organized, Lauren? What are two, three organization hacks that you use yourself? what are two? Ooh, let's see. I think that, um, I mean, everything gets calendared personal and professional. So like I'm leaving the doctor's appointment with my baby and they tell me whenever the next appointment is like, that's going in my work calendar and I'm blocking it. I might not say what the meeting is because people on my team have access to it if it's personal stuff, but I'm going to block it on my calendar and putting those blocks in, I think are crucial. And just identifying if there's times in the day where I'm feeling stressed because I'm a, I'm on a call and there's just like too much going on in my personal life in the background. I'll try to take note of that and like block that time for the future, right? Because for me, just blocking no call times is really important. And I really tried to, another another tip is that I try I try to assess like where's the boundary of too many calls in a day because I think a lot of working professionals have this issue where you're on calls all day long, you're not a you know, you can only do so many things at once. Like, when are you going to get your work done if you're on calls for seven hours? And I used to do that, like calls all day, like every single slot. And so what I've been, for me, what I've been trying to do is no more than four hours of calls a day. And that seems to be a pretty good, for me, a pretty good space to be in. I know that if you're working for another company, sometimes you have that control, sometimes you don't. Um, So calendar, time blocking, really watching the number of calls and things that you're on. And then at Intern Queen, we use Asana, which is just, a t- there's a lot of tools like that, but it's just a task manager tool. And so that really helps, especially with things like following up with people. Um, because we always say you're going to remember to follow up after a phone call in two weeks, but you never do. So I use a task manager tool like Asana to literally write in like, okay, in two weeks, I'm going to follow up with this person. 
And that really helps me just remember all the things I have to do. Sort of like a digital to-do list. Yes. No, like, I think those are some great tips. Asana is a great one. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So how did you start your company? You, you, you mentioned earlier that you had this idea in the last year of university, what I understood. Mm-hmm. If I understood you correctly to start the Intern Queen, uh, the Intern Queen brand and your mom supported you. She pushed you. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit more. How did you start it? Yeah. I mean, I started it my senior year in college, but again, I, I don't think I really knew what I was starting. That makes sense. Like I knew I was doing something fun on the side, but I don't know how, I don't think that I, I don't think I thought it was a reality to actually do this with my time, like all day, every day and and eventually get paid for it. So I bought the web domain. I started blogging. I started writing a lot. I was always a writer. And so I started writing a lot of internship articles uh, senior year of college because I had done so many internships during my time. And I, when I went to look for internship information, I didn't see a lot of it. And that's really what propelled Intern Queen was this idea of there's not a lot of books on internships. There's not a lot of websites on internships. I, I was in Florida where there's not a huge internship culture. So the people around me weren't interning. So I was really left to really dig for information on my own. So it was really that void in the marketplace and that gap of information that made me say to myself, there needs to be more. Like there needs to be more resources here. So um, I moved to California. I was still blogging, but that was it. And I was getting a decent response. Like students would find my blog and they would write me questions and I would answer them. It was a lot of Q&A. Um, but it was just something I did in the morning and late at night because I had a full time, I had a very full time job for two years. Um, but I couldn't stop thinking about the business and my, you know, ideas on like what I could do with it and all the things. I remember I won a like a woman in business award, um, I think in 2007 or 2008. And I had a full time job. I wasn't even doing intern queen. So I kept thinking, you know, I'm putting in this much effort, but getting a lot of return. What if I put in more effort? Then what would happen? So eventually um, in 2009, I quit my job. I had $5,000 of savings. And I said, mom, dad, I'm going to be the intern queen now. And when intern queen started, it was all about, um, it was all about my face, right? It was me doing blogs, me doing talks, me doing all these things, um, you know, which eventually turned into YouTube and TikTok and all the things that, that we all do today. Um, but the advice that I got time and time again was that my business wasn't scalable, that it was very based on my face and that, you know, God forbid anything were to happen to me, the business would be gone essentially. And so that really got me thinking about how I could create a more um, scalable business opportunity for myself. And um, that's really where the IQ agency was born out of, out of that uh, thought process. And so the IQ agency or the intern queen agency is a full service college marketing agency and we're basically leveraging our relationships with students and um, selling that essentially to brands and saying to brands, hey, if you want to connect with Gen Z, we know Gen Z. We have so many great people hire us to be your college marketing agency and we'll connect you with these students. And they can post on Instagram or TikTok or they could host an event on campus or a virtual event or they could sample your product on campus. So um, basically launching a lot of college ambassador and college influencer programs. And it's really taken off over the past 10 years. And we've had an opportunity to work with brands like the Ford Motor Company, T-Mobile, Dunkin', like Dunkin' Donuts. And um, it, it's been really great. 
And what it, the, I think the best part is it's taken, um, a, that's where the majority of our revenue comes from. So it's taken a lot of pressure off of the intern queen brand. We don't have to do sort of silly or cheesy Instagram deals because we're making money from our agency business. So we can stay really true to our brand. We can only work with brand partners that we want to work with. And we can really focus on great, valuable career advice. And I think before the agency, it was always tough to do that because we were constantly worried about paying the bills and me flying to who knows where to go to a speaking engagement. And so um, it's, I don't know, the, the IQ agency has really like just completely changed the way we do things. And it's really, I think, given our intern queen brand, which is so special and the reason why we have all these great relationships, given us a lot of freedom and flexibility to talk about what we want when we want. I love that. I mean, it's uh, I mean, you've taken an amazing journey, you know, the last 10 plus years and you summarize yeah. it just in a few, few minutes. Uh, but thank you. Very, very yeah. inspirational, Lauren. Um, <laughs> thank you. So uh, a lot of young people, they're looking for a mentor, right? And mm -hmm. I'm sure you had a mentor as well when you, when you started yeah. doing Bitcoin or no? You, I you know, I really, I didn't. And it's funny, I wanted a mentor so bad, but I felt like no one wanted to be, like no one knew. Sometimes I still feel this way that like, sometimes people just don't, don't know what to do with me. They're like, you're great or you're really smart or I like your idea, but then like they, they don't know what to do with me. And so um, I think it was a little bit like that in college. I had all these ideas, but because it wasn't in a bucket, you know, I wasn't going into finance. I wasn't going into this and, um, and entrepreneurship also just wasn't, uh, what it is today. You know, people weren't coaching and talking about running your own business in 2000 and whatever year that was before 2009, you know, like they are today. So I really didn't have a mentor until a few years into, um, you know, running my business, which is interesting, but sorry, I cut off your question. No, that's fine. That's fine. How, okay. How did you meet your, your mentor you just mentioned now? And what's the most valuable lesson you have learned from him and her? Well, here's the funny thing. I, just to be super honest, I had a mentor, uh, maybe from like 2011 to 2016. So like a, a good, like five year run. And then my mentor like left <laughs> and, and, or got busy essentially, right? Which is what happens to a lot of people. And so I think that there's a little, I think that we all have a, maybe a, a broken concept of what a mentor is, right? Because when I used to think of mentor, I thought like, oh, I'm going to find this person, this magic person, and they're just going to want to help me every single year of their life. They're just going to want to devote, I don't know, four hours on the phone to me, you know, maybe an hour, a quarter or something. And they're just going to want to help me. And that's a nice thought, but then we think about real life, right? And real life has a lot of twists and turns and people go to companies, they leave companies, they get new jobs, they get married, they get divorced, they have kids, all these things. And I don't know how practical that concept is. So I think that we need to break this concept of a mentor a little bit because I think it's a little bit misleading. Like, again, people think they're going to find this magical person who's just going to be there for them forever. And again, not saying that that doesn't exist because some people do have success with that. But I think what I see more of is people having almost like short-term mentors, whether they're you know from their company because their company has a mentorship program or whatever it is. But 
very rarely do I hear people, you know, say, oh, I've had this mentor and they've been around for 20 years, (laughs) right? It's just, it doesn't happen that much. So for me, I had a mentor for about five years. Um, It was actually an executive from one of the companies that we did a college marketing program with, who really, I think, just took a, I think, just took a genuine interest in what I was trying to build and said, you know what, I have this super corporate perspective. You have this wild entrepreneurship perspective. If we put the two together, you know, we could probably do some great brainstorming. And so we would connect like once a quarter, you know, for 30 to 60 minutes and just sort of brainstorm. I would try to come prepared with like two really big picture questions every time we spoke. I think with a mentor, it can be a little bit confusing because the inclination is to go to them with every single question about everything. Like you feel like they're on your personal board of directors, but they don't have time. Usually they're not going to have time to answer every question. So I, um, I felt like I needed to be really strategic when I did get some of his time and, and ask, like, I would have like two really specific questions ready to ask. Um, and then I think also, uh, mentorship is a two-way street. And so while yes, someone is mentoring you, I think it's really important to ask them what's going on in their lives and what challenges they're dealing with, because it's really interesting to hear um, a successful executive's perspective. So that was my mentorship journey. Um, Have I had mentors since then? Yes and no. I would say I have a lot of mentors that haven't signed up for the job, right? Meaning like I've I definitely believe in reaching out to people that are successful or successful or that you admire for whatever reason and asking to get 15 minutes of their time to just chat and find out more about them, see if they're open to giving giving you some advice. I try to do that at least a handful of times a year. Um, and you know, those people are mentors in their own ways, but are these people that like I'm regularly speaking to or have signed up to be my person? No, right? And so again, I, I probably went on a little bit more of a tangent on that thing you thought I would, but that's that's my take on um, mentors. No, they come don't and then worry. They go some- <laughs> what did you say, Lauren? I said sometimes mentors come and then they go. <laughs> yeah, no, but I appreciate that because you know, as persons, we grow, right? We yeah. evolve, and right. I mean, we need specific things in a different in a specific part of our journey of life. Yeah, exactly. So I, I completely understand that. And I mean, mentors, they, they understand that, you know, but yeah. I, I did ask that question because a lot of people, I mean, they invest in college degrees and then they mm-hmm. hear from professors like, yeah, you need to get a mentor. You need to get a mentor yeah. and students and young, well, young people like, you know, under 30, they might think that, well, I mean, how do I find this mentor? You know, like, because. It's right. How us. do I, how do I find this person? Yeah. Right. The the messaging is a little strange. My advice for people listening to this, that would be, you do it for the click. Right. And so what I mean by that is whenever there's an opportunity to meet someone, right. And, and maybe sometimes you understand why you're meeting them. Sometimes I meet people and I don't even know, I don't, I don't necessarily understand. Like maybe I'm, a friend's told me I should meet someone or something, but you know, you meet people, you do zoom meetings or whatever it is, but you do it because you're trying to find the click. Um, usually you meet people, you talk to them once, maybe you'll stay in touch. Usually it's not a click, but if it is a click, meaning you find that person that, you know, is energized by you and you're sort of energized by them and you have this great dynamic and you're generally trying to help one another or genuinely trying to help one another, like that's really special. And that's what you want to hold on to. And and that's why you do all these general meetings and, and all these things to network and connect with different people. So you always do it 
because you might find that click and, and that click could lead to a mentor or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's true. I mean, these mentors relationships, I, I, from my perspective, they're like informal, you know, mm-hmm. so, and yeah. they happen. Yeah. I love that when you're saying like the clicks you know, when you're meeting yeah. someone, because you never know. Uh, I mean, I met right. my mentors just, well, I, I would say randomly because I've been saying just yes to meeting, proposing to meet with people. And then, yep. well, suddenly you're brainstorming and then well, right. next in a month or so you're calling each other again. And while exactly. suddenly you have that's a always great when it works out like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, there are a lot of millennials and Gen Z's in, in the audience and some of them might be in college. Some have, have graduated. What's the one advice you would give them about choosing a job? Um, about choosing a job, I would just say, try to have a, try to have a real understanding of what you're going into. Um, jobs are so confusing because at every, every company is structured so differently. The titles are different. The responsibilities are different. You know, an assistant at one company could be an assistant at one company could be a completely different job description than, than an assistant at another company. So I would just try to have a really great idea of what you're going into. Try to really understand the role. My first job was an assistant, was as, I can't say the word assistant today, was as an assistant at a talent agency. And I, looking back, I don't think I had any clue what an assistant at a talent agency actually did. Like, again, I think I knew it was kind of cool. I knew it was going to be really busy, but I didn't really understand what I'd be doing all day. So try to, you know, not be um, blinded by the industry or the cool factor or the job title, like really try to dig in in that interview and understand what a day in the life of that role is like, um, so that you can make a a decision about what's best for you. And my other um, piece of advice is that the first job doesn't have to be the dream job. Like, and, and in most cases, the first job isn't your dream job. So do what you need to do to get your feet wet, to get that experience. Um, If you've had internships in college, great. That'll definitely help propel you, um, I think. And um, yeah, that would be uh, some of my advice for getting a job after college. And uh, sorry, one more piece. It's just that I know easier said than done, but I know one of the hardest things about getting a job after college is that you're constantly comparing yourself to the person next to you who got a job offer right away. Try not to do that. I've worked with hundreds of thousands of students at this point, and everybody gets there, but everyone's on a different path, a different timeline, a different journey. So just because your friend got a job offer well before you guys graduated doesn't mean that you're not going to get something that that you're looking for as well. It'll just be on a different timeline. I agree. I agree hundred percent. Those are really great advices. Um, I got the same, well, one similar advice when I graduated uh, from one of my earlier mentors. And he told me that, well, Frederick, you want to work for H&M and be like a, a big shot, you know, at H&M. Take a job at a small fashion company, work yourself up to some sort of management level there. And after three years or four years, you move to H&M. And you're going to move directly, you know, to a management position in H&M because you're going to have the experience, you know. I yeah, love that. Absolutely. And a lot of students or young people, they don't know about that. I think that concept can be applied to anyone, to be honest. Mm-hmm. All right. So for those in the audience that have a lot of management, time management challenges, what would you tell them? Um, time management challenges. So something that, something that I've been doing recently 
that helps me. So I'll make my to-do list. Ideally at the end, ideally at the end of the day, make my to-do list for tomorrow. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes I don't. Um, but something else that I do is right next to the task. I write down how many minutes it should take me. And I am like an obsessive timer setter on my phone. So like, for example, I'll do sales emails every, I'll try to do sales emails every morning for about 20 minutes. And my goal is that within that 20 minute time, I'm sending out about 10 emails or so every day. Um, just outgoing sales emails. Um, because I think I think it's really important to be always selling, even when your sales are, especially when your sales are strong, I should say. So I'll write down sales, parentheses, 20 minutes or emails. I try to not spend more than 15 minutes on my emails a day. Emails are an incredible time suck. And you're basically answering to other people all day. And I find that when I get sucked into my emails, I'm not getting any of my stuff done. Um, and you always get back to the emails you need to get back to that, you know, usually works itself out. So I'll put like email. 15 minutes, right? And then I'll go through my Asana tasks and I'll literally write them out on my little notepad and I'll write how many minutes each should take me. And that way I have an idea of how many hours of like work I have to do that day, right? So usually I would say it's between, I try to get it to like between two and three hours of like work that I have to do. So then the next thing I do is I go to my calendar because again, we're not superheroes. If we're on calls all day, how are we gonna get two to three hours of work done? So the next thing I do is I look at my calendar and I try to say, okay, if I have like three hour long blocks of work, like where am I going to fit this in? And I'm really trying to like, it's almost like you're working on a puzzle. Um, but I try to have, you know, I, I try to have a, what I would call like a flexible plan in place. Like, okay, I could do my first hour now. I try to get as much done before like eight or 9am as possible because that's always when calls start for me. So this morning, for example, we had this um, podcast scheduled at eight. So between like 6 a.m. and 8 a.m., I was just trying to get most of my stuff done for the day. Because what, what happens, right, is that the day, something happens in the day, something happens with a team member, something happens with the client, and you get distracted, and then you don't do what you need to do. So I really, so like this morning, I got about two of my three hours of work done, which is great. So now I only have an hour left, and it's only 8.40 a.m. here in L.A., Right. And so I'm pretty confident I'll be able to get that hour of work done before 4 p.m., which is when I try to cut things off so that I can have time with my baby <laughs> and all of that. So, um, yeah, that, that's how I do uh, time management right now. But again, the, the time blocks has really been helpful for me. And, you know, I don't always guess exactly correct, but it's, it's pretty spot on. So I use my phone timer to kind of keep me um, keep me on task. Cause like I could like go to LinkedIn, for example, I could spend hours on LinkedIn and get sucked into that hole, but then I'm not going to get my stuff done. So I'll be like, okay, you get 10 minutes on LinkedIn timer set go. Right. So that that's my thing. I love it. I love how you just like went like, all right, I'm going to just expose myself yeah. here. You know, <laughs> I love I it. it. Yeah. Yeah. The more hacks, the better, you know, I loved it. Um, let me see. So I loved how you be. You were like, okay, you know what, Lauren, I can't go more on ten minutes on LinkedIn. I want to discipline myself. You know, like whip myself. You know, put my phone here because uh, it's true. Like I can go on LinkedIn. I'm, I'll be like, oh, two hours has gone by. Exactly you know? right. Yeah, and I think so. it's an important question to ask yourself also. And I'm trying to get better at this. Is like, is because. There's always things that we can do, like Instagram, for example, right? We're in transition right now. So the person that ran our social left and we haven't hired the new person yet. So um, we have like a part-timer that's helping with our social, but we don't have someone full-time that's looking at it. 
So I could spend and would love to spend hours like thinking about our Instagram posts or posting more things on Instagram story. But I do try to ask myself like, let's say you did that, right? I live out my Instagram dreams today. Like, is that really going to get myself or the business to where we want or need to be? Like, probably not, right? Like, sure, I could do some cool stuff and like maybe a lot of people would like my posts, but like, is that really gonna elevate my business and help us get to the next level? No, and I know that because I've been doing this for 13 years. So I think it's also like reminding yourself of that bigger goal a great exercise that I did um, this year, and we're actually launching it um, today at noon to our whole team is I put together our five-year plan. And um, I think last year, we all got so wrapped up in, with COVID and being reactive to a situation, of course, that we didn't have a chance to be proactive. So um, I put together our five-year plan. I've been working on it since about February. Um, it's not, it's, it's pretty short, but just some like, key pillars of where we want to go as a business over the next um, five years. And so we're launching that today. And that's been really helpful because when random things come up that like I find myself wanting to say yes to, I try to open up that document and say like, okay, does this thing match any of these pillars? Because again, it's really easy to say yes to people and not have any reason for saying yes. So I'm always trying to match up like the ask to the five-year plan and... um see, you know, and, and let that help me make decisions. I like that. That's what, I mean, that's what a lot of like professionals do. They create a five-year plan, but you're just applying it to a business. I like that a lot. You know, I like that a lot. Um, you've written three books, Lauren, which is amazing. Congratulations. Um, what has that taught you? What has that taught me? A lot of things. I think that uh, I'm like, well, a lot. I would, well, I would say this, look, no one's, no one's ever, it's never enough for anybody. Right. When I didn't have a book, everyone told me that if I want to be successful, I need to have a book. So then I got a book and then everybody said, if you want to, if you want to really be successful, you need two books. Okay. So I did, you know, so then in 2014, I wrote a second book. Then people said, you need three books, right? Like you you did these career books, but you really need an entrepreneurship book to be successful. So I did, you know, more of an entrepreneurship book with Get It Together. And now I'm feeling, and that was, that came out in 2018 and now it's 2021. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit of that pressure of like, well, when's your next book? And I think a book is an example of like, kind of one of these cool things that it takes a lot of time and a lot of, I mean, when you're a business owner, it takes a lot of your personal time because if you're running your business all day, when are you writing your book? Well, unless you're in a place where you can take time off, which I'm probably not there yet, um, like take time off to write a book, um, I would be doing it in my personal time. And my personal time right now is extremely valuable to me because of the baby. So I, I find that like a book unless you're a best-selling author, right? Like you're just killing it and it's off the shelves every day and you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I find the book thing to be like, it's okay, right? I think it's everyone, every so often I do get emails that say, I found you because of your book. And I love that because that means the book is selling me when I can't sell myself. But specifically with my audience, right? 18 to 24 year olds, how many of them are going into a bookstore? Not a lot. How many of them are seeking out books every day, specifically on internships and career advice? Mm, not, not that many, you know? 
So I think while a book, I think the experience has been great for me and I've written these books and it's really great that I have this information that people can take with them and, and, and I do believe will help them. I would say a book is sort of one of those things like we talked about earlier that I have to remind myself like, while it's cool, that doesn't necessarily mean that I should commit to it, say yes, and then spend my time writing another. Um, it's just, it's, it's funny timing for the question because I'm getting a lot of um, pressure about book number four. And I've been telling people like, I don't think anybody cares about book number four. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. Um, so I would say, you know, pros and cons um, with the book, but I do, uh, I'll tell you one more story real quick is that I was on, um, this must've been 2019 because I was on an airplane. I haven't been on an airplane lately. But in 2019, I was on an airplane. I had just been rejected from something. I was feeling really down. I had a copy of my book, Get It Together With Me. I opened it up. I think it's chapter three is a chapter called, um, like, like, I don't even remember what it's called, like embrace rejection or get married to rejection or something. And I was like, you know, let me see if this chapter helps me because I'd written the book like two years earlier. And sure enough, the book made me feel better and it made me feel inspired again. And I thought, wow, if I can inspire myself, <laughs> then everybody else can be inspired by this. So um, I, I do think that uh, if you're feeling overwhelmed and like you can't get it all done um, and like you need to get it together, especially with everything going on today, I do think get it together can be helpful. There's a really great chapter on goal setting where I'm really transparent and open about some of my goals, financial goals for the business, which I think people will like. And then if you need internship advice, my first book, All Work, No Pay is awesome. And um, Welcome to the Real World is perfect for everybody graduating. That was my second book. And it's all about everything I wish someone told me before I had my first job after college. So there's my plugs for all the books. But um, so super valuable, but in terms of like entrepreneurship mindset, time management, I don't know if that's the right path for me to like continue throwing myself at because it takes so much time and energy. Yeah. All right. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I've read your books, all of them, actually. You know, I read your first book, like I think that was 10 years or, or so oh, long time ago. ago. Yeah. Uh, but I loved it. You know, I love the design oh, and everything. Thank you. So Yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, moving on, Lauren, I don't have a lot of more. I just have one or two more questions, okay, but you uh, just to know more like business, but you speak, you've spoken a lot about loving yourself. Uh, I think that's really important today. What, what does that mean? Could you elaborate a little bit more on that for the audience? Yeah. What does that, <laughs> you know, I'm like, what does that mean? Um, I think it's like Demi Lovato, right? Who talks a lot, the act, the uh, actress or the singer that talks a lot about loving yourself. But I just think it's um, being confident with who you are and what you're bringing into the world, right? Um, you know, we all can't, like, I'm not great at looking perfect and creating perfect, beautiful images on Instagram. Like, that's just not me, right? And um, sure, I could... Uh, do what we did a couple of years ago, which is like hire a photographer and take all these beautiful photos of me standing outside on a pink wall and la la la. Right. But th like, that's not me. And I think we all need to come, um, to, uh, I just think we all need to, um, remind ourselves that it's okay to be us. And just because we're not, um, a spitting image of what's represented on TikTok right now or on Instagram, like that's okay. And it's okay to be uniquely ourselves. Um, and um, I don't really like the word authentic, but authentically, I think it's a little cheesy, but authentically ourselves. Um, 
So yeah, I think it's just important to to really love yourself and appreciate yourself. I think as a, as an entrepreneur, you sometimes I think have a little bit of an identity crisis. For me, a couple of years ago, I was doing a lot of speaking on the road, and I remember getting a little bit confused, like where does Lauren stop and where does the intern queen start, right? Because the intern queen, I mean, she's she's a machine. She's like, don't get rejected. Do this. Do this. Do this. And like, well, that's great, and that is a part of me. Um, that's not all of me. And so I think, um, I know for me, I went through a little bit of like a, who am I? Like, am I, is the intern queen me? Am I the, are we different people? Are we the same people like this? A little bit of confusion. Cause again, if some entrepreneurs are creating this sort of persona for themselves and it's a little bit larger than life. And I think it can be a little bit difficult, difficult to separate yourself from that sometimes. So anyway, anyways, in short, you know, we all just have to be confident in ourselves, in our weaknesses and our strengths and like, and that's okay. So. I agree. Like I agree hundred um, yeah. percent. I think um, a lot of people needed to hear that, you know, Lauren. Um, and I think it's so hard for young people. Well, everyone, I think it's really hard today, you know, with all the social media out there and so much external like pressure, you know, to really be true to yourself and dare right. to be yourself, you know, really right. have the guts to be yourself, you know? Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you worked with a lot of awesome people in the world, uh, what, yeah. uh, students, companies, uh, professionals. What's the one thing that separates the, the most successful people from the average, you would say? Hmm. Um, I, you know, I was going to say the successful people are the ones that care, like they care about what they're doing right? Like I work with so many brands and, and sometimes you work with people, executives that you can tell, like, like what they're doing and they're invested. And then you work with some people and you can tell, like, they're just sort of like another cog on the wheel. Like they're just doing what they need to do to get through the day. They're not really thinking big picture, um, about what you're doing. Um, I don't know though, if that's, you know, if that's maybe, I, I don't know that that, make someone successful or not successful. I'm trying to think if there's another answer for that one. What makes some people successful and other people not? Um, you know what I'll say is like, I think um, owning it and consistency, right? Like we're not always going to be perfect, but I think someone that owns their mistakes, like owns the wins, but also can own the losses and continue continues to like be consistent um, I mean, these are things that I try to be right. Like I try to own the wins because of course everybody wants to own the wins, but like when we do something wrong, um, even in like with a client project, like we try to be really transparent about it, honest about it, own it. And then we try to be helpful partners in coming up with solutions. Right. And I think that's something that makes us successful. And it's something that I'm confident in that, like, look, even if we mess up, we're going to do everything in our power to make it right. And like, that's what we want to bring to the table with every student interaction, client interaction. Like we're not always going to do everything right. Um, with ever, for, for anybody, right? Like we try to be advocates for students and I know we've messed up along the way at points. We try to do everything right for our clients. I know we've messed up. We try to, as the intern queen, right? I try to give the best advice. I'm sh I know that there's times where I haven't, you know, given the best advice. Um, and that's sort of par for the course. But I think that, what's going, what's going to continue to make our brand successful is that when we do it well, we're going to own it. When we do it wrong, we're going to own it. And if we do it wrong, or if we can't figure it out, we're going to try to come up with a solution for it. 
And that's what I have a lot of confidence in um, with my business. And I, I appreciate other leaders who do the same thing because we're all not perfect all the time. And um, you got to be confident. You got to own it. Yeah, I love that. I love owning it. Uh, you know, um, I read a book. I think it was a year ago about Jocko Willink. I don't know if you know him. Mm -hmm. It's like an ex-Navy SEAL uh, about extreme ownership. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really good book about, like, you know, like you have to just like own your shit, you know? Like, yeah. And, and I think you're right. What I've seen with a lot of our students too, and a lot of people that I meet, like people that have like a certain drive and like, okay, I've committed to do this. It's my job or whatever, you know, or it's my yeah. project. I'm going to be there like 10 minutes early or I'm yeah. going to take this serious. Like you notice that, you know, you notice mm -hmm. that it's like in the air, right? Or yeah. it's the energy that you feel it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Lauren, uh, last question. All right. Okay. Before, before I let you go, what's, yeah. uh, can you name like one book that have massively impacted your life? No. <laughs> Uh, no. No, you can't. <laughs> I'm like, Frederick, <laughs> next question. <laughs> I ever, I know a lot of people do have these books that have massively impacted their life. I, I don't, I've had books that I've read that are okay, but none that I would point to and say like, that was the thing. I took okay, So you're like, well, I'm just going to write my own book, you know? Right. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty okay. much. I'll tell you Great. this. I, what, the books that impact me the most are um, actually biographies on other successful people. Like that's what I find the most motivation in. So whether it's reading about like a president or um, an actress or like, a, you know, a TV host or a businessman. I recently read um, Bob Iger's book, The, the Head of Disney. Um, me too. What was it called? The Ride of a Lifetime. Ride, I loved yeah, it. The Ride of a Lifetime. I love that book. And I've definitely tried to email him so many times and be like, dear Bob, this is my review of your book. I love this part and this part. And he has not written me back yet, but I hope he does one day. Um, but yes, actually I read Ride of a Lifetime. And I read that when I was dealing with a lot of um, uh, frustrating business issues. And I really felt this was uh, late 2019. Um, I just had some like business personnel issues that were going on that were really bringing me down. And I was feeling like the world was ending and I wanted to, I wanted to connect with a larger scale, you know, business person who had been through more because I wanted to put my problems into perspective, you know, and I figured a big company deals with like personnel issues all the time. And so I read Ride of a Lifetime and I remember uh, Bob Iger was talking about um, when people died in Orlando in the shooting and how I think it was like that same day he was doing a ribbon cutting ceremony at like Disney China and this whole thing. And it really, I mean, it really puts everything into perspective and you look at these people and what they've, you know, um, gone through and, and when they've had to be leaders and it does make you say, you know, wow, like my problem is not a big deal. Right. So mission accomplished. But so I will say, okay, that book, um, did impact me. And it, it inspired me at a time when I wasn't feeling very inspired as a leader. So I will shout out um, Bob Iger on that one. I, I love that book too. So, yeah. and you know what? Um, you were talking about personal issue, uh, personnel issues, yeah. like staff issues. And yeah. thank you for opening up on that, Lauren. 
yeah. you know, as an entrepreneur myself too, uh, to be honest, like, of course I get upset if something happens to our customers, you know, and like we haven't treated them well, but yeah. you know, when we have like personnel and staff issues and that hits me really hard, you know, I get really sad, you know, and yeah. I, you know, that I just, I, I want to get stuff done and try to help and fix something, you know, same. directly. Yeah. Same here. And something I've learned over the years is that just like, you can try to be as consistent and caring and, and get, you know, and have that, like, we're going to get things done mentality. And like, I'm just not everybody's cup of tea, right? Like some people are going to like me, some people aren't. And you know, there, there does come a point where you, you can't fix it. So you know, I try to take the good with the bad, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely challenging to lead a team and to adapt to a lot of different personality types. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you want people to like you and it's frustrating when they don't. (laughs) Um, but, but it's also part of the challenge of being a business owner and hiring people and growing your team. So, um, but I've really enjoyed this conversation, Frederick. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much, Lauren. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they go and say hello to you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Um, at Intern Queen on Instagram is probably the best place to just check out our community and see what we're up to. You can always look at um, at official Lauren Burgers, my personal page, if you need to see cute photos of my baby. And um, internqueen.com is our site. So definitely uh, check us out. Send me a DM. We're here to help. Thank you very much, Lauren. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Really appreciate your valuable time. Thank you for listening to Fika with Rice. I hope you enjoyed the show. Who do you want to have on our show? Let us know by sending me an email at frederick at absoluteinternship.com. And before you go, if you like this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify to get to listen to more inspirational stories and life hacks. We really appreciate it. See you next time and much gratitude for listening.